Welcome to Holy Fuck. Holy Fuck. Holy Fuck. Two gals on the prowl for enlightenment, sex, and all things holy. Holy Fuck. Each week, beauty alchemist and transformational coach and speaker, Catherine McClelland, and spiritual healer and life coach, Krista Kim, discuss navigating spiritual consciousness in a real human body. Stumbling through dating, relationships, and everyday life, all while maintaining a fucking sense of humor. Hey everyone, this is Krista Kim with KristaKimCoaching.com and I'm with Catherine McClellan, KatherineMcClellan.com and you're listening to the Holy Fuck Podcast. <laughs> and uh, we just want to let you all know that we appreciate you listening and um, remind all of our listeners that you can find us on YouTube and Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Stitcher Acast. And of course, we're always on our Instagram posting episodes and synopsis and summaries of that stuff so you can hear what each episode is about when we bring them out. And, you know, we might be on Facebook since we're a little bit older. (laughs) She's a little bit older. Yeah. You know, we are doing this podcast because we love what we do. We love being coaches. And Catherine and I love to talk about spirituality and relationships. And we just want to invite you to check out our websites and see what you think. See if there's any offerings that we have that might interest you. Yeah. And today we're talking about our <clears throat> voices, fifth chakra, voices and all of the things related to our fifth chakra, the resonance of our fifth chakra. And strangely enough, dun, 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 we did a fifth chakra workshop last night. It was yes, we did. Fantastic. It was a great <laughs> workshop. Everyone it was powerful. Huge. I was just really surprised. Not, not that all the workshops aren't powerful, but they're always powerful in different ways. Yeah, we are but, always powerful. Yes, of course we are. <laughs> but last night, there was like something magical came through. Yeah, it really felt that way. We did. Uh, we had a funny opportunity to let go of how we previously had planned to do the workshop and to completely reconfigure the room and do a group process instead of more, much more of what we would normally do, which is a small group process. Like a duo. A duo, but we did it as a large group process, which was fascinating and actually served the material much better. And because fifth chakra is a lot about control. And so what did we have to do? <laughs> We had to break Let down that control. Yeah, and not control the evening, which was, I think it's always easier for you than it is for me. Uh, <laughs> more control issues. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing right now. I'm just sitting here quietly on the side, smiling. But I think it was a great opportunity, too, for the participants to see us let go of the control and demonstrate what that looks like to really connect in with spirit and allow you know, the bigger plan to operate in the evening instead of sticking with our plan. Yeah, the fifth chakra is all about um, surrendering your will mm-hmm. and being able to allow yourself to be guided by your divine will and rather than your mental will or what comes out of your sort of physical brain um, and to really listen for the deeper, the s- small voice, the whatever people call it. Or is- God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and you could say God, but it isn't always a full experience of God to hear some piece of guidance. Sometimes 
you know, people feel like that comes from the angelic realm, that comes from guides and that kind of thing. So there's just, there's more ways to hold it. And mm-hmm. you can also say guidance from God about um, what it is our next steps are. And in any moment-to-moment interaction, the more present we are, the more able we are to go, oh, well, let's just shift this because this looks like what the room is calling for now instead of, oh, this thing we had planned and keep jamming it down people's throats the way right. we had it planned. All the steps we had laid out and the way we thought it was going to work perfectly. And then just to kind of almost like throwing it all away and like just being really present with the opportunities that were in the room to really give everybody a powerful experience, including you and I. Yeah. I feel like we got just as much out of you know the material as they did. Absolutely. And I think what I would say, rather than throw it all away, is we threw it up in the air. Yeah. Because everything was included, but it all, and and each time we did it, because we had a couple of people we were doing it with, each time we did it, it came out differently. Mm-hmm. And and we invited the people in the room to ask for what they wanted, and they did. So they each person, as we went through the process, actually got their own customized customized lesson. Yeah, so it was um, it was pretty powerful, and that's not typical of what we do. And yet, it was yet it a really great is. lesson. <laughs> now it is. We now do that, um, but it was a great lesson for us in um, opening and allowing and. Just teaching the fifth chakra, essentially, spirit was just saying, okay, now I'm going to show you how to teach the fifth chakra by living it in this moment. Which, as always, whenever we're about to teach one of the chakra workshops, the month prior to the workshop is filled with lots of learning material for you and I in that particular chakra, almost like preparing us to have some really great stories to (laughs) share. Well, one of the funnest things about this is we had two months and Uh, We actually knew, we could feel that whole two months, both of us Mm -hmm. were having experiences where we felt like we were being challenged over and over. One of the things is to speak your truth, to stand in your truth and not to um, walk away or hide from it. And so Mm -hmm. the whole topic of secrets is really important in this. And what are you saying and what are you not saying? And where don't you tell the truth? And it's not just lying we're talking about we're talking about where don't you fully holding where don't you fully express yourself and who don't you fully express to and if those happen to be your close relationships you're creating some stuff that's going to get crazy well i got some stuff you got some stuff (laughs) yeah i mean it's amazing because um well i feel like through the podcast you and i've both had the experience of Stepping more fully into who we are and especially using our voices and putting what we, you know, our ideas out into the world. Um, you know, I think we've both always had a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions, but that moment where we had to launch and record it and then put it out there and say it for the public and be heard, like that's a totally different step. And so, um, you know, for me, then it got a little bit more personal over the last couple of months because it was like, okay, there's something about being able to put it out in the world that once you do that, you're kind of, like I feel like we're behind a little bit of a screen here in the podcast because no one's really seeing us. And then personal interactions come in with family members or friends and having to use that same, I don't know, that same courage to like, it's, it's almost harder with personal braver. experiences than it is to like record something and put it put it out. Well, I think they're two different things, right? I think one is when it's a relationship topic, 
Mm-hmm. And it's someone you're in relationship with, whether it's a family member or your partner or whatever, or your children even, right? It's it's really hard to break open that place that's terrified to speak and say the truth. And I think mm-hmm. that's a huge piece, and that's why the personal. On the other hand, some of what we're going to talk about today is stuff that saying it out loud in public is much harder than saying it to the people in your family. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, each of us have had chances to talk to the people that are closest to us in the last few months and really share some big stuff and have some big experiences. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the more public aspect of that mm-hmm. today in a minute, too. Um, just wondering if there's anything else you wanted to touch on before we go down that path. Um, well, I think that the experience I had this week with... Um, you know, really stepping up with some people that were close to me and having to get really big with my opinions or big with sharing who I am. And I think we've been in a little bit of silence with each other for about a year now, just because neither one of us have been able to understand the other person. So instead of confronting it head on, there's just been the, oh, let's just kind of give everybody some space and let it work itself out. And that's fine, but going back to that book, Attached, that we talked about, and me being the anxious personality, that space is such a painful place for me that it was really hard for me to find the healing in that. So, um, And the other part of that is people who are more in the anxious, have more anxious tendencies, it's harder, to, I think, to say those truths because they're so afraid of the people leaving. Yes. And so I've noticed after this week that that was a lot of my hesitation in having some of these conversations um, with the people in my life is that I was afraid that I would push them even further away. And so I just allowed the silence to go on a little bit longer than I had wanted. But, you know, the the speaking up and everyone having the opportunity this week to really share probably the most intimate sharing I've ever experienced with them in like 40 years, like really big shares. And I feel that something just unlocked and I'm so shocked by it. Fantastic. That's great. So, you know, one of the things about the fifth chakra that we do know is it's, it's a place of courage. And mm. it's a place of courage when our chakra is unhealed, I should say. You know, and of course, we talk about the fifth chakra being a place of resonance and a strong voice and a powerful presence. Only if your fifth chakra is a healed fifth chakra, if you have issues around expressing yourself, you can either be highly controlling or you can be completely not controlling, but both of those are actually unhealed aspects. So to actually speak your truth in your voice is an amazingly powerful thing to do and takes a huge amount of courage and bravery. And that is where we're going today about a public figure now who is having to do that for herself. And we're basically dedicating this conversation about the fifth chakra and this episode today to her. And she has been known for the last four years. Her name has been in the media as Emily Doe. Doe. And so like John Doe, only Emily Doe, because um, her identity was not put out public, but everyone knows her story. And her story is that she was the uh, woman who was raped behind, passed out unconscious behind a garbage dumpster on the Stanford campus. I believe it was four years ago. 
by a 20-year-old young man. And all of what she's been through, through that journey and the court process and the proceedings and how her she related to him and how he related to her and how the whole thing came down and all the stories that were told. And in typical fashion is that the sort of masculine forces come in and try to control this situation in a very, very overpowering kind of way. And within it all, she had to keep finding herself. She had to keep keep telling herself the truth. She had to say, this is the real story. The real story was she was unconscious and sexually assaulted, period. That is the story. Now, whether she was drunk or what she was doing there or why she was there, none of that matters. And what she had to keep doing was facing these millions of ridiculous questions. What did she eat that day? Why was she on campus? What was she doing? Because they were trying to break her down. The whole point of that process is to break us down and stop us from talking. And so to hold your power as a woman... Especially a woman of that age. And and that age. She's early 20s. Mm -hmm. And so to hold her power in that way... And then to speak so clearly and so publicly about how strongly she knew that she had been mistreated and had been sexually assaulted over and over. She just had to say, this is not about drinking. This is about sexual assault. At one point, the boy, man, young man who was involved in this had said, well, it was all about the alcohol. And I wasn't doing what anybody else, everyone else was doing. And she said, well, of course, everyone else was drinking. And so was she. But no one else assaulted her, and she didn't assault anyone else. And that's the only thing that's different. So in her different iterations of going to court and having to go through this and the trial and all of it, she wasn't offered. All that she wanted was, I'm sorry. All that she wanted was him to admit he had done it and to say to her that he was sorry. And she may not have pressed charges at that point. She may have backed off. She's not, she doesn't even know what she would have done. But because he didn't, she just kept stepping in and at great personal cost. She lost her job. She moved away because she was too much of a public figure in her own town and she couldn't while people didn't know it was her, she couldn't pretend in that town that she didn't know it was right, her. That it wasn't her. <laughs> yeah. she, she had to be herself, and that was challenging. And, you know, it affected her family and all her sisters and everybody else. And so this is a really important moment. And the reason it's coming up now is because she's written a book. The name of the book is Know My Name. Uh-huh. And the author is Chanel Miller, this very young, 20s, Human, smart, smart, so smart, brilliant writer, beautiful uh, way. She has a beautiful way of composing her words and has been able to carry her voice partly because of that. You can find her testimony online, and it's well worth reading. She addresses herself to her perpetrator. His name is Brock Turner, and she addresses him directly, and she tells him about what it has done to her life. It's an incredible letter to read and and hard to read. It's hard to read. It's very hard to read. And she had to say it out loud in a courtroom to him. The only thing I can say about this is when I was 20, 
six, so maybe near her age, I was assaulted on the street in Boston. And I had to go to court and face my perpetrator. Now, the good news in my case is that I was saved by a bunch of men in the neighborhood. He was caught and he went, he was taken to whatever they you do. <laughs> anyway, right. we ended up in court. I had to go to court to testify. It was the most terrifying thing to imagine standing across from, I don't care if there are cops or anybody else in the room, mm-hmm. to have to stand across from someone who has assaulted you and say what's true is the most frightening thing you can imagine. And in my case also, um, well, I guess what we didn't say about her case is that while he was convicted, the person who assaulted me was convicted also, in her case, he was given a very, very lenient sentence of six months, and then he was given three months of probation. So he served three months of a six-month sentence, and he could have been given a 14-year sentence. You get more than that for a DUI, probably. I mean, that's what's so ridiculous. Uh, you you do get that for a DUI, and um, in California anyway. I'm not sure about everywhere else. But it's very important for us to realize that this is an actual situation where he took someone's life and changed it forever. And yeah, he changed his own life forever, but that was his, his act choice. and his choice. And of course, there's an element where people want to find a reason to blame her for this. Mm-hmm. And she's had to stand in this power, and I am sure she has gone to the underworld with this, to take herself to a place where she is able to stand up and tell you her name, her real name, and put herself on a book and take this book out into the world and talk with people about this. And you know there are people who will be detractors and who will have things to say about the fact that she was drinking or what she was wearing or why she was on campus or any of those things that will try to mitigate what happened to her. But the fact is she was assaulted while unconscious. And if the two graduate students who hadn't been riding their bikes by there, we don't know what might have happened to her if he had left her there overnight, if anything else could have happened. So we do know all of the facts of her case, which we don't have to go into right here, except to say that they were horrifying enough for her to have had a really intense, painful experience and a humiliating experience coming out of her unconscious state in a hospital with police and nurses and not knowing where she was and no one knowing where she was. So she was alone. And of course, she'd been, the police were called, and so she was taken by herself. And as special as that case is, it's not special in that it's happening every day, all day long. Everywhere. And it's like, feels like it's such the norm that it's just expected that women go through this. I know, and it's it's not fair that it's a norm, and mm-hmm. it's so unbelievably frequent that we go through this, that this happens over and over to women in in what people would consider to be typical situations where women are in, and suddenly there's something that happens to us because we have a vulnerability. We can be abused in a way a man can't be. And to me, that means that the penalty should be higher mm. because it's something, you, it's like the, the penalties are higher for children They should be higher for women, too, because it is something that you can take advantage of. We all know that we're not the stronger sex. (laughs) We all know that we have our— Physically. Physically. Well, there's that. I thank (laughs) you for saying that. But 
you know, with a few exceptions, men mm-hmm. are generally stronger than women. And also physically we're vulnerable because of how we're built. And so this has been a vulnerability that has been played on by a wounded masculine for decades and eons and eras, right? And now it's time for this yeah, to Yeah, and stop. It found, this experience found a woman who is capable of making great change. And so I love the part um, in the letter that she read in court, and she was talking about how she could have, like, you know— beat herself up over going out that night or being in that situation and all the things, you know, that she could have blamed herself for doing wrong. But then she realized that if it wasn't her in that party, that it would have been some other woman that had to do it. And so as much as it's heartbreaking that it happened to her, I feel that it was divinely planned for it to happen to her because she's the one who can bring this story and make this change out in public in such a huge, big way with eloquent words. And it's like she's prepared, spiritually prepared in a way to kind of like take one for the team and really make this a national story. Yes. And and to have been able to put it in a book and actually to, you know, this sounds funny, but financially women are usually out of balance with men about these things. And, and there is a way that by using this experience to bolster herself financially, be able to put a book out that's going to sell. Mm-hmm. And we know it's going to sell hundreds and thousands and hopefully millions of copies around the world because she's eloquent. She's a great writer. She has a strong position. She's a strong young woman and she's young and she's taking this position. And I, we did a special edition months ago, a year, a year ago almost probably, about sexual Capital. assault and my experiences with that. And the truth is that I, when I was sexually assaulted in college, I was also passed out. I was in my room. Well, let's clarify. You've had two experiences. Yes. One, One was on the street where, where he was actually caught and we went to court and... Mm-hmm. The other one was in my college room where the door was unlocked waiting for my roommate to come home and I was passed out. And yes, I was a party girl. And yes, I'd been out at a party. None of those things gives a man a right to come into my room and have sex with me. And I was, and I was a virgin at the time. And we talked about this because I disclaimed his right to take my virginity away. And I gave it to my first boyfriend who was really my first lover. And that was a really powerful thing for me to say and to put into the ground. And I want that for all women. I want any time that we have been assaulted in some ways for us to stand with each other and say, you don't have to accept fully the experience as somehow taking something from you. This young woman, this beautiful young woman, Chanel Miller, is now able to say, I I'm taking something from this experience. I am giving it back to the world, and I'm saying I'm healed. So the cover of the book is designed with gold on the front cover, and it's to indicate this ancient Japanese art of kintsugi. Kintsugi, I don't know. Kintsugi, I think it is. But it's about it's about when you put broken pottery back together. You put it back together with gold. And the gold that brings it back together is actually allowing for us to see where it was broken, but also see that that's where the beauty is. Mm. And to me, that is like, just gives me chills and brings me to tears, is the idea that she is 
more beautiful and more powerful from this experience. That does not excuse this experience, and that does not mean that we would wish this on anyone, but that there is a power in us and an essence in us if we're brave enough to honor it, that we can become more strong and more whole in our healing and that we can lead and lift each other up to be better, stronger, more loving humans to each other. There is many men that are as upset about this as women. There are probably some people on both in both genders who are not and think it's a fabricated story and have their own stories about it because it's too scary to take in. And I bless them as well for whatever they need and whatever they're going through. But I do see this Chanel Miller, this beautiful young woman, as becoming this beacon of light for her generation. It's, to me, somehow the healing of the Me Too movement. It's like, enough, now we've purged. Because this happened before the Me Too ver- um the Me Too exclamation in yes. the world. It did. and But I, I'm sure it was partly fueled because people were so outraged by this. Mm-hmm. Which, if the sentence would have been uh, a just sentence, I don't know if it would quite make the chain, her, if her story would have quite made exactly. the impact that it's going to have on the world. So I hate that that's what the sentence was, because I feel like it just diminishes her experience to the umpteenth degree. And I can see that it's this, those sentences are happening all across America every single day. And hers just happened to be very public because of the details behind it and probably because it was a, a swimmer at Stanford. and Full scholarship, they, yeah, Olympic and they, hopeful, yeah. things like that. Well, the other interesting thing about this that is fascinating is that when that sentence came down, the people in the area were so furious that the judge had made that choice that they called a referendum and they kicked him out of the judgeship. So the people in the community understood the power they have as a civil society to say, no, bullshit. We're calling bullshit on this. And you don't get to be our judge anymore. And to me, that sent such a strong message to this whole powerful kind of group of people, judges, who think maybe sometimes they act like they're above the law, that they're just Mm -hmm. trying to uphold, that they believe they're trying to uphold, but they're not always upholding. And there's always ways in which there's a a leaning towards, oh, I was a young boy once, and ooh, I almost got in trouble once. Maybe he did it. I mean, I'm not saying that, but you know what I'm saying? We all have personal experiences that change our perception of things. So we don't know why he chose to make a sentence that way or why his perception was colored in that way. Yeah. And for some reason, he really felt like it would be too much for this young boy to have a really serious sentence. But this young woman has been changed forever. And I, I think that Krista and I feel really strongly about this is that we want you to read this book. We want you to go out and Find a copy and get your friends to read it and create a women's group and start reading and talking about this stuff so that it can't happen as often and that people are starting to get it, that we're not going to put up with this kind of behavior from our judges or from the men. And even people you know, if they start speaking about this and as if it's her fault to stop the conversation, you don't have to do it violently. You can just say, I'm sorry, I'm not available for this conversation. This is, this is, incredibly inaccurate and unfair to the young woman involved. There's a way that we have to hold a higher standard 
And I think that's what she's asking us. And I love this idea of the pottery with the little gold streak through it, that she's, she was broken. She was dropped to the bottom of what she's ever been able to be. And she is climbing up. And I, I hold her in the highest esteem. And she's going to do great things in the world. She's I mean, doing she's, great things in the world. She's like having to stand up to every single thing that this young man is going out and doing in the world to kind of reclaim his reputation. It seems like she's kind of made it her mission to meet him at every opportunity she gets to say, yeah, that's not how it happened. And she's having to take him on, like in the public speaking platform even. She absolutely is because he has decided, he has told the story as if it's a drinking issue and he's going around on college campuses and doing seminars for, um, how to stop noon. Don't do, don't drink on college campuses. And she's saying, this is not a drinking issue. This is a sexual assault issue. And so her plan until he stops doing this is to follow him to every campus he goes to and do her own lecture on sexual assault indicating that that's what was really happening in their case, because he has been convicted. This is not a question of not being convicted. He's been convicted over and over by the same jury on the same on, on nine different counts of sexual assault. It is completely clear that this happened. The jury called bullshit on his well-paid attorney and all of their stories hmm. because they made up stories because she was passed out that he could only tell the truth and no jury is going to ever buy that story. Luckily, this jury did not either. Well, what about the colleges, though, who allow him to come speak? That's just, you might as well just be like that judge, in my I mind. Think like, there, miss, I think there's some confusion. Like, it is related to college drinking in that they were all drinking. Right. So if this kid is saying, I'm repenting, sort of, and I want to come talk about drinking, I can see where it would make sense. But he's not repenting. But he's not. He's only, the only thing he's ever admitted to do is drink. He's never admitted that he actually was there, that he did this heinous thing that made a grown man cry. The person who caught him in the act and had to stop him. It must have been horrifying that that, that would drop another man to his knees, what he was seeing this young man do. And yet somehow this young man has still not taken responsibility for it. And, you know, it is not up to us to vilify him. It is not up to us to turn him into the worst person in the world because we will never get what we need to get from him. And he Because he's playing his part in this he too, is. right? He she doesn't get to make the national change on these, um, even on the sentencing and what the laws are. And she doesn't get the opportunity to do that in the world if there's not a perpetrator. That's the hard part to come into understanding around. That's true. And he's got some lessons to learn. And if we hold him in the fact that we know that in every human being is the wholeness of the human, the beingness behind us, the essential being, and that we do get off track and we do do stupid shit. And anybody who's listened to this podcast who pretends like you haven't done something that you could have gone to jail for, just don't kid yourself. Because we know those laws are pretty, they get pretty low, you know, all you had to do was steal something and you were going to go to jail. Like things can happen. But it's the way we repent for them or the way we own it. And that's also part of like the fifth shocker of being able to say, I'm sorry. I fucked up. I did something really stupid. And I hurt someone. I hurt someone. I know I'll never be able to fully, you know, fix it. And I'm going to try. Right. That would mean so much to her. And it's not even just her. 
To all of us, it would mean all of us. It's her and it's her family and everybody who was affected by it. You know, if the young man, or obviously he's an old man now, who had who raped me ever came back and said, "I woke up one day and I knew I had to tell you," he could find me in a heartbeat. We were in college. That's easy. You know what class you're in, right? (laughs) And if he ever said to himself, "I woke up one day and decided that I needed to say I was sorry." The part of me that's had to like pull all that up inside me and stand with it mm-hmm. my whole life and to like heal through those things and all of that, there was there would be some place where I would have a different experience of life after that moment. He doesn't have to do that. I've lived with it all these years and he never has done that. And that is what he has to live with. And I may not have been the only woman he did that to, but I certainly was one of them. And the idea that that lives in him as an opportunity to continue to forgive. And one of the things that we did in this thing last night, in this workshop, that was so powerful that I had found <laughs> that we none of us remembered, but we all did, was an experience of confession. Not confession from a place that you're a sinner. Confession from a place that you actually let yourself tell the truth about something that you've done. Out loud to another human being. To another human being and to yourself. You let yourself—and now, choose your human being very, very (laughs) carefully. Choose human beings who understand that we're fallible, that we make mistakes, that maybe it wasn't even a mistake, but whatever, at the time we did it, we were doing our best. But we can see that it hurt other people. Our words, do we gossip? Do we cut people down? Have we hurt people's chances for employment by— cutting them off at the knees, or being competitive? And is there any way that we ourselves owe someone our own owning, first of all, of the place that we have done harm? And then maybe do we owe words to someone else about the harming of them? That's a really good question. We didn't touch that one last night, but we still—I'm still touching it. And that would also be in your fifth chakra. Can you bring yourself to a place— where you can take a deep breath and really own, that was hurtful. It wasn't my intention, but it was hurtful. And it's not always about other people either, the confession. No. The confessions can be our deep little secret of something we're ashamed of, or it, you know, it doesn't always involve someone else or having to say, I'm sorry to that person. It's really about can we just admit something that we're holding way, way down deep inside of ourselves you know, can we just say it out loud? And the what I witnessed last night is that the power of speaking it, you could just see the body, the human body just relax after it was said. I mean, it took a few minutes, but there was this moment where it was intense, 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 and then there was a softening that happened. And the other piece of this, which I think deserves to be said, is that the second part was that you say you are willing to be healed. Mm-hmm. And you're willing to have grace fill you and soften you about this. And there was a a first softening, like you said. But then when that piece came in, really the whole room just kind of enveloped this sense of we're human and we get caught. We get caught in our egoic, freaked out, scarcity, worried, fearful mind. And we go and we take things and we do things that we shouldn't do. And then we feel bad. Well, the fact that you feel bad is the thing that's good to notice, right? And I think for me, one of the things about Chanel's story that is so powerful is that she knew that she could take this inside and never talk about it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And she knew that it was going to be really, really horrible to go out in the world and talk about it. And her identity was completely what shadowed. So she was, she could do it without letting anybody know who she was. I remember at the time, there was no way I was going to tell anyone. I told my roommate when she got home that he spent the night. I did not tell her what happened. Why do you think that is? I, it, I had some place inside me that felt responsible, that I had somehow, I had left the door unlocked. I should never, have, I should have screamed. I should have done something, and I didn't. And interestingly, in reading her story and remembering that I had been drunk that night, realizing that I had passed out, that I don't, I don't actually, I remember him on top of me, but I don't remember other parts of it, either out of fear or out of my own, you know, sort of college drunkenness, means that I don't have the facts of it. So mm-hmm. while she had some physical facts because her body had been so um, badly abused and there were people that were witnesses, in my case, it just looked like, oh, maybe that guy just came to your room and spent the night. Right. And I could tell that story and get away with it, and I did. But it bothered me for so long, and it was part of this history of me not thinking that I had a right to stand up and say that. I would have lost all my friends. I could feel, not maybe my two best friends, but all the guys that we hung out with, every all the fraternity we hung out with, all our friends, they would have been gone. Everybody would have been, I was a liar. I didn't have a lot of what I felt like was familial support for me. I didn't have anybody to fall back on in my life. I wasn't living at home. My parents were across the world. Does your family know about this Never. No. And they don't really know about any of it. Um, Not even the other story on the street? No. The one that you went to court for? No. Wow. No. That's the kind of relationship I had with my family was that they— it wasn't a situation where I felt like I could go home and tell my story and that I would be heard and supported. You know, I think this is a very familiar story, and it happens in so many different levels. So we're talking about this massive trauma that this woman went through and what you went through and how we keep it silent. But these family secrets are the things that we keep from our family. You know, I think that that was playing into the story I was talking about with getting really honest with some of my family members recently. And, and it didn't involve even a trauma, you know? So I think we do it in smaller ways. And what it does when we're hiding something like that is it creates even more separation. For me, it's like I'm scared to be known, but also scared not to be known. So like I'm scared to tell somebody that full-on truth because I'm afraid they're going to leave, but I'm afraid if I don't tell them everything that's happened to me or what my experience has been, that then they don't know me. And then I get mad at them because they don't know how to talk to me or have anything to talk to me about. And it's like, because I've spent so much time keeping my inner world, my inner world, and not sharing myself with them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Krista, because um, right now I'm writing another book. And I think I'm pretty sure for me that's why this is coming up, because this book is going to be titled something like Sexy. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the Holy Fuck podcast. And for me to actually be able to confront and talk about these things that I've never been able to talk about is so weirdly terrifying. So many years later that I can only imagine what it was like when it happened. 
And I can only imagine the kind of trauma it was. And I do know that one time I tried to talk to my parents about something that happened to me. And there was so blank screen mm-hmm. that I knew it would never, it was worse. It was worse to share it with them and get nothing than it was to share it with them and, or to not share it with them. So I never brought it up again. And I only like went one place and then I never went again. And so I think it's taken all of my healing, all of these years, all of this to be able to get to this place to have a podcast that's called Holy Fuck that just totally shocks me every time I say it out loud and to have a book that's about sexy and to find a way to finally have all of that be doing this last stage of healing where my fifth chakra is finally saying it is resonant for me to say that there is beauty in our sexuality. There is such power and such strength and such incredible sensuality and joy in our sexuality. And it's great. And we can hurt each other with this if we don't take care of it. And that somehow you and I have a responsibility to the women of the world with our audience, whoever you guys are and women and people out there who listen, that you take this seriously, that you take our voices seriously and that you speak up for yourself and you speak up for the girls in your life and you take care. And together we rise, I guess, is really the answer (laughs) at the end is that we're not hurting anyone. We're not trying to malign anyone. We're not trying to Take the whole—I have no interest in taking men out. I love men. I have interest in keeping this dangerous darkness of the wounded masculine who thinks it's okay to hurt women off of my body, out of my town, away from my girls, and off of this planet where they can learn a new way of being. And well, you're the perfect person to talk about this because you really have had the full circle of sexual experiences, I feel like. You know, you've had traumatic experience to the divine experiences. Yes, so you've true. kind of had, um, you've had it all. <laughs> so you can really, unfortunately, you've had it all. And it also gives you a place from which you can speak to. It's very valid. and Yeah, and, you know, it's just great to say that after all these years of having better experiences than worse experiences that mm-hmm. tended to be in my younger years, it's still maybe not just as frightening, but close to it. So if you ever wonder why women don't speak up, it's because they've been perpetrated against. They already know that they're not going to be supported. They have to be twice as strong. That's part of the, um, last night's lesson that I really loved is because there was that, we were talking about the pendulum of, um, mm. let's see, the, the unhealed parts of um, the fifth chakra. So you have the, where you're in com- living in complete silence because you, your fifth chakra just can't even say anything. And then it takes, usually it takes some type of big experience in your life to break that open where you just have no choice but to speak. And so I know for myself, I was so locked down with my voice that when I finally did speak, it was so loud and brash and hard that it kind of gave me what I needed in order to launch the podcast because I had to be in that just woo, full over here side. And we're going to say anything. <laughs> we're going to say anything and everything and just do it with wild abandon. And it has been a year of like a learning curve of like, okay, now I know I have the courage to say it. 
Now can I bring it back down to a more balanced way of being and still say my truth and say what I need to say, but say it in a way that people can hear it and it's not too combative or, you know, over the top. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you said that I could see it, this, that there are really two sides of the same coin is being so quiet is being controlled inside you and being completely out loud and just saying everything is also controlling it because it's controlling it outside of you. It's like, I'll Mm -hmm. say anything I want. You can't tell me what to say. (laughs) And now in the middle is the space of being attuned, right? Mm -hmm. The space of like, do I need that loud voice? Could I say it from my heart? Could I find a way? And that's really the, the idea of one of the things that we always try to do is come with our voice that comes from our heart and from our light. And to say, you know, even for this young man, Brock Turner, this is an incredible journey. His life will never be the same, of course, nor should it. And may he learn the lessons that he is here to learn. May he be given the kind of counsel that would offer him to embrace something new. May he make as much of a positive influence on the world that she is making and together change this consciousness in our culture. Is this possible? You know, and so we know it's possible. Right. It is possible. Well, it may not be possible for him. I mean, he may not choose it as all. Yes, the possibility exists. And for me, the other thing is can we hold him as a culture without rancor, without hatred, but hold him as if he was a little child who had done something inadvertently wrong and say, now you still need to fix it. You still need to make restitution you still need and yes we can do that but again it's a choice right Right. we have to choose love we have to choose to hold him in that space and and that's the only way we can fully heal and learn from this is to love him more and that's certainly not our human tendency no and that no it won't necessarily be anybody's tendency after they read this book Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she battles with how she feels because of the, what she feels is injustice that has been served. And yet, again, if we take step back, get to the bigger picture and look at justice and injustice, the gift that I was given was the impossible job of coming to from a place where my sexuality was the hardest, most painful thing that I ever had to live through that was something that got brought attack and fear to me, and come up through it to be the thing that is one of the most beautiful things that I have in my life and that I get to share with my delicious partner. Mm-hmm. And you're sharing your experience with the world. So we're learning, you know, you had that experience happen, and we have, I know I have learned from you and grown with you and your experience of that. So That's sweet to know. So when you say it out into it, because I'm, I'm actually surprised that no one knew the story about you. Mm. Really surprised. No, it wasn't. So look how many years it takes sometimes to find that voice to say it. And that's why I'm so proud of her. That's why I'm so proud of her. This really isn't about him anymore. Yeah. It's about who she is and what she's doing with this and what can she do that will really empower women, women her age and women all over the world, women in the military that we know are really severely mistreated. Mm-hmm. to get the help they need, to stand up to this power, to use their power. Even if it's your voice is shaking, use it so that people can hear that you're not okay. 
and that you need some help to get there. So in the end, I guess what we're trying to say is that let's bless both these people for the impact they're making on our world and our society and our hearts and our minds and our souls and bless them to find their way. Yeah. And be inspired by her journey and thinking of the thing that you're scared to say and allowing yourself to start saying it. Yeah. Spread the love. That would be the way, right? Yeah. Beautiful, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you here. We love you. We appreciate you. And keep the faith. All right. Spread the love.